if you don't understand your financial situation and understand what your assets are, what your liabilities are, what your income is, and what your spending is, and spending is so key, how can you possibly go to the negotiation table with confidence? Rachel Green, Brooklyn-based divorce mediator and collaborative attorney, and this is my podcast, Keep the Kids in Mind. Join me as I chat with other industry professionals about everything from smoothly navigating your way through divorce to prenups, all the while keeping the kids in mind. Welcome to Keep the Kids in Mind. Today we have a very special guest, Ivy Menchel. Um, Ivy has been working with as a financial planner for almost 30 years, but she has also been working with families in transition for a long time. Welcome, Ivy. I'm so glad to have you here. Oh, thank you, Rachel. I was actually bopping a little bit to the music too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, just to start, uh, why don't you tell us um, what draws you to this work and how you got into this field and what are the cases that really touch your heart? So let's see. Um, so I, I, you know, I had about probably like 14 years ago, I had 14, 15 years ago, I started to have several uh, clients going through divorce, several friends. My parents actually um, had gotten divorced a, a little bit before that. And I started to see that they, though they had great legal support, and some of them had great emotional support. Very few of them had good financial support. Oh, and interesting. So we tend to think of lawyers and therapists to help divorcing people, but they also need financial support and guidance too. Ex exactly. You know, and some of their agreements just also long-term didn't necessarily make great financial sense. Mm. You know, and it became very apparent to me that though divorce is a um, a legal process, there are financial and emotional implications, and you really need to address all of those. So then I discovered that there actually was a designation, and I became a certified divorce financial analyst. And um, you know, I think to answer the second part of your question, what cases, you know, what types of cases or clients do I like to work with? I think when I think of that, the first thing that pops into my mind is open-minded mm. because you, you want to be able to explore options with clients. And if they're, if they aren't open-minded and they have like dug their heels in, you can't really explore options. I mean, is that this, do you feel the same way too for the clients yes. that you work with? Absolutely. I mean, I see the same thing. If they already, you know, they come in saying, okay, this is how we're going to divide our assets. This is what schedule our children are, are going to have. I mean, I can write that up. I can be like a scribe mm. and legal paperwork, but I'm not really connecting with them or discussing options. And sometimes people, you know, rush to the wrong finish line. <laughs> Right, exactly. They, they pay for it later. Yeah. You know, and I think also, you know, money, money's emotional. 
Yeah. And you're going through an emotional process. Mm-hmm. So you, I actually like to dig a little deeper, um, dig a little deeper and um, sorry about that. Um, That's okay. And really see like, what does, what does like money mean to them? What does that asset mean to them? Why mm-hmm. do they feel so strongly about mm-hmm. that? And, um, you know, are there other ways that we can actually solve that, that need without them digging their, you know, heels in and, and not about, really exploring about the money. That's very yeah. interesting. I, I think of like the typical case where the emotions come up, um, like a, a lot of people who have a pension, well, I guess fewer and fewer people these days have a pension, but you know, there's, that's like the typical thing where I've seen, um, especially police and firemen um, or city workers who have just felt like they worked so um, hard for their pensions and they just hate the idea of giving up part of it and they'll trade the house for the pension, like regardless of the value even. Yeah, they're so attached to it. It's interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, of course, when you know, when there are children, which I know is is um, your topic, right? Like being being open minded to you know how to address the finances for the children is, I think, is so critical, also. Um, wh- what do you mean? Like when you say finances for the children, do you mean child support or do you mean other expenses that parents are going to divide or everything? I think more so when I said it, I think I was thinking more so the other expenses because in New York, which is um, where know, we are, not really where we practice, right? Right. You know, there's, there's a formula for child support. So that's, that's sort of easy, but kids do a lot of other things. You know, they have so many activities, they have so many needs, certainly as they age, um, you know, how are you going to cover those expenses? And I like when I see couples work together to address how they're going to pay for the piano lessons and the braces and, you know, whatever else comes, the soccer, the soccer equipment and whatever else comes up. Right. Um, because even though um, they're separating, they're still the two parents of the children. So exactly. they have really the same challenges. Like we want our kids to do soccer and piano lessons and summer camp. And, and how are we going to pay for it? I mean, it's like they still have that that challenge. Yeah, that's right. And it's so important for them to work together. Yeah. Right. And they have to make the decisions together how overscheduled the children are going to be, um, you know, as well. But there's a financial component to it. Right. Yeah. 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 And just even how, you know, how will they decide which activities that, you know, the kids do and, you know, things like that. So, you know, I and so going back to your original question, I think that open minded clients are really the best one, you know, the best couples to work with. Um, you know, and like you, sometimes, sometimes I'm working with just one of the spouses and sometimes I'm working in a neutral capacity and Mm -hmm. either, you know, in, in either role, you want to see, you want to see the open-mindedness. I think that's my word. So, so you work with, um, clients who might be 
less sophisticated, you know, the less money it's spouse, let's say, um, in helping them understand their finances and, and figure out how to manage money going forward when maybe that had been delegated to the other spouse during the marriage. Um, but you also work in collaborative processes as a neutral, um, pulling together like the information for the whole family and the whole right. collaborative um, team. Right. And, and mediation as well, too. Oh, mm-hmm. oh so you work as a neutral with, with mediators. Like so I work in. with a neutral um, mm-hmm. if the client's going through mediation. Sometimes I'm behind the scenes working with just one of the spouses, not participating, let's say, in the mediation process. But yeah, mm-hmm. so it depends on, on the case. Yeah. But, and then actually, sometimes I am even working with the moneyed spouse and helping them helping them come to terms with, you know, okay, can I afford to give this much? How does that impact me as well? Not only today, but going forward too. So it really depends on, on the case. You know, I I have to admit, I'm fascinated by the emotions that are tied up with money. And like, like I have, um, I have a, a couple that I'm working with that have a lot of money and, um, the husband is a former hedge fund manager and, you know, they have just like, to me, it's kind of unbelievable, um, uh, um, you know, amount in the marital estate. And one would think that there's plenty to go around and yet they're bitterly fighting over, you know, I mean, the conversations have been just astonishing to me because in mediation, they're saying, um, well, I need, I need uh, 10 million. Well, uh, you can have 8 million. Well, no, I need 10 million. And I'm kind of like going, what's the difference in your life between having 8 million or 10 million? Yeah. I I mean, it's not a huge difference in your lifestyle or what you're going to do. Um, but they're, you know, they're, they're just bitterly fighting about it. And we really do need to like dig underneath and find out what it means to them each. And then, and then I had, um, an inquiry yesterday from someone who, who said, you know, the husband is a former hedge fund manager and um, he gets these annual bonuses that are like half his salary. Um, you know, I mean, that's half of his compensation for the year. It comes in a one-time bonus, yeah. and, you know, astronomical. And they, it sounds like they, they separated. He's paying all the bills. She hasn't worked outside the home for a number of years. But it's just, you know, they, they are li- like like the first couple is living in a land of n- need and never enough. And the second couple is living in a land of plenty. Right. And, I mean, <laughs> that may be beyond the scope of either of, our, <laughs> either of our specialties, but it's just so fascinating to me. You know, it's interesting. Um, and it's interesting that it's coming up because I actually created a workbook that helps people get in touch with money. Because to your point, you know, one person can have, let's say, a million dollars in the bank and feel financially secure. And another person can have a million dollars in the bank and still be so um, uncomfortable and stressed out and not feeling that there's enough. Right. And that's right. why I say that it's so important to really understand what the, what the money means to the client, you know, to the clients, right. To, to anybody. But, um, and, and we see, you know, if, if it doesn't mean status, doesn't mean security. And that, that really determines how people are negotiating 
for asset division or, or even spousal support or child support. Well, not so much child support because there's a formula, but for the add-ons, for the extras, you know, and it's so important. You know, I, I, sometimes I make a joke and I say I'm the most important person on the team, right? Of course, I'm joking because I think that each each professional member is important. But if you don't understand your financial situation and understand what your assets are, what your liabilities are, what your income is, and what your spending is, and spending is so key, mm. how can you possibly go to the negotiation table with confidence? So it's so critical when you're going through divorce to have a good understanding of, of your situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of these cases, I would go out on a limb and say that they haven't worked through those economic models to see the impact of, okay, what if I have 8 million versus 10 million? Or what if I give, you know, right, eight million and the money spouse is the one who always feels that they're giving, you know, right. so. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, that's definitely an emotional issue in this case as well, because, um, he, he, on their net worth statement, he wrote housewife and she was really offended by that she term was. because we don't, that's kind of an older term. I mean, yeah. people say, um, you know, stay at home parent or right. Other, right. But there, but she felt really disparaged by that. But, you know, I was trying to, um, I was trying to encourage her. In fact, I gave her your name to meet okay. with a financial specialist. Mm -hmm. And then at one point he broke in and said, I mean, he just interrupted. He didn't break in anything. Um, he interrupted and said, uh, Rachel, you should know that she has um, uh, MBA and specialized in finance. And I yeah. said, oh, I mean, honestly, she seemed... I'm very unsophisticated to me. Right. But well, and again, she may have the knowledge. Right. But this is a very emotional process. And none of us um, think clearly when. When we're emotional. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, did your parents have conflicts about money or. Like, how do you think that was handled in your in your home of origin growing up? Um, so I think growing up, I think that we always lived beyond um, our means mm. un unknowingly. Quite frankly, I think that was probably um, more my father's doing than my mother's doing. I think my mother was much. Um, I think she was much more conservative with money and I think she was more financially responsible I hope my father doesn't see this. Um, <laughs> and um, I doubt he will. Um, and you won't unless you give him the link. Exactly. Yeah, I won't tell him. And so I think that, you know, though, though my mother did work at times, it was definitely much more of my father. You know, my father was the breadwinner, um, though she did pay the bills, the bigger decisions, were, were decisions that he made. And, um, but I, you know, I saw how financially, even as a kid, I saw how financially irres irresponsible 
he was. And I mean, I think any, even like when they moved in, we, they bought a house. I think it was because of my mother, not because of my father. Like, I think he would have been happy renting. We used to go upstate um, to the Catskills for the summer. He would, um, he would borrow money so that we could go upstate. Of course, I didn't find this out until I was older, but yeah. Um, so I think we always lived beyond our means. <laughs> Who did he borrow money from? Like relatives or? Yeah, relatives. Yeah. Um, and then, like, did he? I have a friend whose father um, died very suddenly of a heart attack, mm-hmm. and ha- you know, and they and they lived quite beyond their means, and he was like, he, he had hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt that no one knew about. His wife mm-hmm. didn't know, his family didn't know. I mean, he died suddenly and then he left them destitute. They had to sell the house. Yeah. And it was just a terrible. It is. Uh, a ter- I mean, and it's interesting because I still think, and he's in his late eighties, so let him, you know, live and be well, but I still don't agree with a lot of his financial decisions, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you know, sometimes my brother will say to me, "Well, you talk to him. You're, you know, that's your profession." And I'm like, "Yeah, but he doesn't listen to me. So what's the difference?" <laughs> you know. Um, so I guess really a leopard doesn't change its spots, but hopefully, hopefully, and I, you know what, I go back to open-minded because if he was open-minded to listen, we could make some changes, but. Mm-hmm. You know, and does he still to this day run up credit card debt? And I don't know. You don't know. I don't. Well, he never had credit card debt. It was always like if it was, it was loans. Yeah. Um, because I don't. You know, he was always in a cash biz. I don't know. He always had a big wad of cash with him. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So um, I don't know if it was just because that was more common then, or because um, part of his business was cash business. So yeah. Yeah. Was he, did he own a store? Um, he had a couple, of, he had a couple of different um, businesses, but, um, you know, one of them, he, he owned a plastic slip cover. Remember those disgusting uh-huh. plastic slip covers that were on the couches? Yeah. That's what he did. So sometimes people paid him in cash. Um, and then. Uh, for a long time also, he was a jobber um, for women's apparel. So he bought, like extra lots and then sold a discount to, to uh, retail stores. So that was oh. also sometimes they paid cash. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, uh, and how, like, can you say a little more if you're willing, as long as we're talking about your family of origin um, about, about your parents' divorce, you were in your thirties. I was in my thirties and you know, it's interesting. I think it's almost more difficult for older children because well, well so first of all my par- both of my parents would talk to me and talk to my brother as adults right. which I was but the right. truth is you're not an adult quote yeah. unquote when it comes parent. to your parents know. you know so it, it was it was hard and they actually <laughs> they wanted to put in their agreement they wanted to put in their agreement that if there was anything that they didn't agree on in the future, that the kids would decide because they felt that my brother and I are are pretty level-headed and my brother's like, okay. And I was like, no, I don't want to have to choose between mommy and daddy. 
you know. Right. You still feel that way even in your 30s. Yeah. And and the other interesting part is, you know, you could see the things about my father that bothered my mother and you could see the things about my mother that bothered my father. So like right. you understood it, but you're still the child. You know, you still yeah, sort of I, the baby. <laughs> right. I mean, children, you know, sometimes people ask me, how can I be neutral as a mediator? And I like to think of it as that's how children see their parents divorce or see their parents marriage because children are able to like hold those two realities in their head at the same time. Like they understand daddy feels this way. Mommy feels this way, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and you know, you can completely see the two perspectives even when they're differing. Yeah. 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 Um, Did did your parents remain married? My parents were married. Yes. I mean, they remained married. (laughs) My father just passed away, but my parents were married for 71 years. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing. They got married at 20 and 21. Wow. How lucky are you? Yeah, I I guess so. But, you know, my parents also had conflicts between them. And I I think I became a mediator partly because (laughs) I I wanted to resolve those conflicts. And and there I have had experiences with them, you know, in the last 20 years when they were squabbling over something and I would mediate it. Um, That's so fun. That's hysterical. That's very yeah, funny. Yeah. So um, were money conflicts, uh, I mean, were there conflicts like was your mother angry at your father about the loans or or his spending or was that something that That's came a good up? question. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Oh. Um, I mean, I, I do believe that she certainly wanted to save. She was a good saver. And um, I mean, after they divorced, she ended up like saving certainly, uh, you know, much more than I would have thought that she was capable of, um, you know, and which, of course, we didn't know until she passed away. But, um, yeah, it was it, it was interesting. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess she knew that, you know, yeah. he, he was borrowing money and we were, you know, living beyond our means. But um, it's it's interesting because both my brother and I are so much more financially responsible than um, my father is. I wasn't initially when I first graduated college, like many, you know, graduates, they give you a credit card as soon as you graduate. Right. And, you know, like, so it was like extra found money. Um, And I actually, I actually did, did, you know, ring up a decent credit card bill. But then like one day my mother, she said she opened it by mistake. I don't really believe it, but she opened up the envelope by mistake. And she was like, what is this? And we had a whole long talk about it. I paid it off and that, you know, that was it. Um, So, yeah. And my brother's even tighter with money. My brother's very tight with money. And I know that's why. (laughs) Um, You know, that like that brings up the whole question of financial literacy, because I think that's such a deficit in our education system here in the United States. Mm -hmm. I think kids don't learn what compound interest is and, and, you know, understand how the credit card charges rack up. I try very hard to impart that to my kids mm-hmm. so that they don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, I have a credit card. Oh, that's like I have a $5,000 limit. I have, it's like they gave me $5,000. I right. can go ahead and spend it. 
Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen, you know, as I have, um, people who can never get out from under the credit card debt because right. interest charges are just so exorbitant. Are so high. Yeah. I, I, and it's funny that you bring that up because I would love when I retire, I seriously think I would like to go to the public schools and um, teach kids about money. There are some nonprofits that do it, but for some reason, I don't know why it isn't more widespread. Mm-hmm. You know, so either go to the either go to the public schools or create my own little school so that you can teach kids about money. Or, or even go to any of the graduate schools and teach, you know, how many professionals, I mean, when you went to law school, were you taught how to manage from a financial yeah. perspective, how to manage your practice? Um, no, not at all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, to this day, I don't think that I manage my practice that well financially. As well as you could, um, right. Because nobody, another, nobody that's taught another you. topic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, do you find that um, opposites attract as far as spenders and savers go? Oh, that's so interesting. That's and an interesting. marry each other? You know, I think, yes. I don't, I think it's very rare when somebody marries somebody who has like the, the same money profile as they do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it, it, it's very interesting. I'm a big believer in... You know, typically, typically in a relationship, one party handles more of the finances, and I'm actually okay with that. However, what I'm not okay is that one party knows everything and the other party doesn't. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in having like a financial date night once uh-huh. a month. You know, and even if it's just once for a month, once a month. Wow. Yeah, just like kind of update like what's going on in the household. You know, these are our assets. Um, if there are any big financial decisions that need to be made. So this way, um, there are no surprises. And when somebody passes away unexpectedly or, you know, becomes disabled or whatever, both parties at least know what was going on. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah. I I handle most of the finances in my house and I, love it. I think I talk to my husband about it once a year uh, to fill him in right. I need to do it a little more often. Yes, you do. Cause right. You probably do it right around tax time too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Right, right. Right. Um, what it's only October. You can't learn know what's going on with our finances. Now. That's so funny. Right. It's not your turn yet. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's so interesting too how uh, different couples have their conflicts in a, in different you know areas, um, and some people are you know are aligned on their money and their spending, but they're you know having intense conflicts about um, you know junk food, right. um, you know behavioral things with the kids mm-hmm. or. Um, or private school versus public school, mm-hmm. um, or yeah, that's know, a big other, one. Yeah, yeah, that is a big one. Or other, you know, and and then and then other couples. I mean, thinking about a couple that I I worked with that had huge conflicts about money and spending, and um, the husband had actually grown up in a family that was on public assistance. Like he grew up quite poor in Chinatown. 
And um, and the mother was from kind of, you know, middle-class Iowa family. Mm-hmm. Um, but she really had, you know, she, she looked at money very, from a very business-like profession. She actually had her own business and she managed the money pretty well. Um, but the, the, the husband actually had like a lot of emotional, like it was almost like, you know, an addiction. If he got unhappy about something, he had to buy something to make himself feel better and to like Mm -hmm. confirm to himself that he wasn't in dire poverty Mm -hmm. as he was as a kid. You know, he was hungry sometimes as a kid Mm -hmm. and he really came from a poor family. Um, So when they decided to divorce, I actually had known them for some years prior. And I, you know, I heard this from the wife. Um, I I kind of understood the spending profile of them. Um, And then they came, they came to me for mediation when they separated and um, they had about $60,000 of debt and she took all the debt which, you know, really surprised me, but she wanted him to have, like, be able to get a start on his feet. Um, I ran into her a year later. She had paid off two thirds of it. Oh, wow. I mean, it was astonishing, you know, and, and once she didn't have somebody spending, she was really good at budgeting and saving and, you know, and, and taking on some extra clients and whatever she had to do to pay it off. Um, but it, there were so many emotional issues with them. Yeah. You see that, you see that all the time, um, you know, and for, for some parties managing finance, managing the finances of the house comes so naturally and they just assume that the other person thinks the same way they do. Right. So, um, you know, and that's why I'm such a big believer in financial education and and helping um, and helping both part. And and that's why they need to have a good understanding of their finances. Right. You and I worked on a case. I don't know if you remember this is the one that I'm thinking of. It was a while ago. um, uh, One of the spouses was a serial entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. The other one was an artist and the finances for the artist was just so overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and it slowed the process because um, to really grasp the finances was challenge- oops, was challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm finding myself also thinking about prenuptial negotiations Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you've been involved with with those as well. You know that that's really an opportunity for people to talk about. I mean, to make explicit these expectations that you know we all have. We we all see our um, our parents and and our families of origin um, handling money a certain way, and we just think that. I mean, we think that mm-hmm. that's how people handle money. You know, without really without really looking at these underlying assumptions and the, um, and the expectations that, that people are going into marriage with. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's such a great opportunity for them to have these conversations and make everything explicit before they join their finances. I mean, even the question of whether to join their finances or not. It's a big, it, it, actually, I'm smirking here. Um, um, because I have done some work in that area, I actually created a course with a money coach, like a premarital um, money course, because to your point, couples don't talk about this beforehand. And they think that, however, they just think because they're in love with somebody, everything else will fall into place. And that's not how it happens. You do have to talk about, are we going to combine our finances? Are we only going to have a joint account? Or are you going to have a separate account? I'll have a separate account and then we'll join a little bit or will everything always be completely separate? Right. Um, Um, So that's really interesting. So it's, um, do you have that course available on your website? um, No, not yet. Um, We are, um, we're actually doing it for a nonprofit right now. Um, And then at some point we are going to record it so that people can just tap into it when they want, instead of us just offering a course at a specific time. So I'll let you know for that. But, you know, but it's interesting because people don't talk about this, like how much are they going to save? How much are they going to spend? What amount is okay for me to spend without having to check in with you? Right. You know, is it, is it $50? Is it a hundred dollars? Is it a thousand? Like what's the number? But you really right. need to talk that through, you know? Yeah. And, and I've had all, at all those levels. Yeah. You know, I've had people say, if it's more than $50, we'll split it. And I've had people say, if it's more than $5,000, we'll split it. Right. And, yeah. But also, is it okay? Like, can I make that decision on my own? Right. Because when right. you're a we or becoming a we, you have to change how you've been thinking about money, how you've been handling money, um, you know, creating estate documents. Right. You know, how do we want, you know, how do we want to pass our assets on? Sometimes people say to, to me, you know what? My parents didn't leave me anything. I don't need to leave my kids anything. I'm leaving it for charity. And then the other spouse is like, are you kidding? No, I'm giving it all to the kids. Right. So these right. are the conversations that you have to have. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. And it's so rich because everybody has their own perspective. Yep. Um, do you have any opinion about the joint versus separate accounts in the, in the marriage? Because, you know, I've heard people say you have to keep things separate in order mm-hmm. to have a good marriage. You have to keep things separate. And I... I mean, my parents had everything joint. And so I just, you know, when we got married, we didn't discuss it in advance. And, right. and we just put everything in joint name. And, you know, it, it, it worked out for us. But so far, anyway. Right. Yeah. And you've been married a long time. I know that. How many years are you married now? 24 years. Yeah. Okay. So if you haven't had any issues over that yet, you're good. Yeah. Um, so I think that. I think that there are a couple of things to consider. I think one, what was your financial situation, you know, as you're getting married before you got married? Oh, right, right. Because it's different if it's two people who are right out of college versus people who have built careers and have other assets. And then, 
you know, or if it's a second marriage or third marriage. Right. And then and they could have had gifted or inherited assets. And, right. Yes. Yeah, so you have to look at their situation. So I think that that comes into play, you know, how much he had before. I also think that um, um, you know, if there are little nuances, I, I'm I also think that each party and this is a little bit of my own personal opinion, so let me make that perfectly clear, but I don't think that there's any, even if you get married young, I think it's okay to have a small little account on your own, a separate account, because you know what? What if I want to buy my spouse? What if I want to buy my husband a gift? And he doesn't need to see it, right? Or um, what if, you know, what if I want a spa day? Whatever, I don't know, I'm making this up right now. But, you know, I think it's okay to have a little bit of a separate account, even if you get, you know, married at a young age. But I also think for convenience, it helps to have a joint account too. But I work with a lot of couples that don't have it. So I I think it's really the real answer is whatever works best for you. Right, right. And they they just discuss the pros and cons and... Right. And how are you, even if you keep your money separately, how, how are you going to divide those bills? Are you paying the electric and am I paying the telephone? Although these days we don't even have like a joint telephone bill anymore, but you, you know, I'm showing my age, but you know, who's paying what I'm paying the mortgage. You're paying the maintenance for, you know, for the apartment maintenance or, or the condo charges, whatever it is. So right. I think it's just a matter of really talking it through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I worked with a couple where um, uh, it was another like finance guy. <laughs> Somehow the finance guys money comes up because there's a lot of money yes. to talk about. Right. Yeah. And, um, and they came up with such a creative solution. They, they said 30% of his earnings would be marital mm-hmm. and the other 70% would be separate. Mm-hmm. And I thought it, that was a really good solution for them because um, he, I mean, he had, he was from another country originally and he was like supporting numerous families. Yes. You see that also. Yes. I see that yeah, also at home and, uh, at, at his other uh, original home. And, mm-hmm. um, and he didn't want to feel like, you know, they, like there, there, it was a prenuptial mediation and, mm-hmm. And in there, you know, and we, it was such an interesting discussion because we were talking about, like, he was shocked to learn that everything that he earned during the marriage would be presumed to be owned marital. 50-50 marital. Um, and then he said, well, I, you know, she shouldn't have to pay for my mother's house and right. my brother's this and my cousin's that, you know, whatever he is paying for. Right. Um And so they, you know, they looked at like, all right, you know, this amount he is sending home and then this amount he just wants as his own kick around money. And she, I mean, she had a good job as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they applied that across the board, like that 30% of their earnings would be great and the, and the rest would be separate. And um, the numbers worked out and uh, hopefully they're still married. Right. And, but that's, and so for them that worked, right. But you could imagine right. that for some couples that, that split wouldn't work for them. And that's why it's so important to talk about it and talk, talk it through. Yeah. So do you sometimes feel like you are part therapist? 
Oh, I'm, I'm a huge therapist. I, I mean, I run, so my undergraduate degree is in psychology um, and I always wanted to solve all the problems of the world. And there are several reasons why I didn't go to graduate school, but I'm telling you, I practice every single day yeah. because money is so emotional. And the truth is, you know, people will talk about sex before they'll talk about money, <laughs> you know, right, so that's what, that's they, what tell they, yeah. <laughs> they tell me everything. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. And I'm sure you see it, too, as you're going through your cases when you're working with your clients. Right. Like the money's so emotional, it impacts the um, the pace of the case. Yeah, that rhymed. <laughs> and and um, I sometimes feel uh, conflicts when when people are making decisions that are different than I would make. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and and I guess we all, I mean, as professionals, we all have to keep that you know that boundary. Yeah. But like like I've had that come up a lot of times with the private school versus public school mm-hmm. um, divide. And and of course, there are many reasons non economic that people would choose one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I've seen families that just are tying themselves in financial knots to send their kids to private school. Yeah. And I just, it just presses my buttons. I just feel like, why are they, why are they doing that? You know, why are they bankrupting themselves when mm-hmm. there are deep, very decent public schools available in New York city? Yes. Um, and, I don't know. I'm just wondering if you have any like hot button issues like that. I guess credit card debt isn't my other, you know, my other mm-hmm. one. Um, oh, that's interesting. Um, um, I think some of my hot buttons is when um, like one of the spouses, the less moneyed spouse says that, oh, I, I can't work. You know, the kids need me. Oh, you know, and yeah, I, the kids certainly need you. They need both parents. I don't want to say that they don't, but your kids will be okay if you, if you do find a job and work a little bit, you know, your kid, like, so that, that's one of, one of my, um, you know, I guess hot button. button. Yeah. You know, we're not saying what you have to do, or that you need to work like, you know, nine to five, but just something to bring in some additional income, especially when, for two reasons, first of all, when the family unit could use that additional income. And it also helps you feel like you're contributing to the household too. So yeah, I think that's a biggie for me. And to society. I mean, you're going, you know, you're interacting and having um, you're, you're contributing in some way to so- society when you're working. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I, I can, I have, <laughs> I agree. I have that no, as well. funny, right? That people have like, everybody's different and what really kind of gets them too. you, you, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think it's probably, I think it's probably based on, you know, your upbringing. I mean, why do you think it bothers you so much if somebody has um, has debt, has credit card debt? I guess because I feel like um, they'll never get out, you know, they can be mired in it. And, and the interest is so 
unfair. It's so yeah. uh, egregious, you know, and, and then like you miss a payment and then, um, you know, I've seen credit cards that like it's 18%, which is really high. But mm -hmm. then if you miss a payment, it goes up to 30%. I mean, right. it's just, it's crazy. You know, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why it, it just gives me a stomach ache to think of carrying yeah, off that's that. So funny. It is funny because I mean I I remember I had a client who um had like two hundred and fifty thousand in student loans and she was a documentary filmmaker. So, you know, documentary filmmakers just make the big bucks. And she just like lived with this debt, you know, hanging over her head. Um mm -hmm. she I mean, she just she just uh, expected that she would die with this debt, and it would go away. Yeah, and then it would would go away. Like she had checked her loan agreement, and it would die when she died. And she yeah. just was living her life as if it didn't exist. And I thought I would be up in, in the middle of the night worrying about how to get rid of this debt. So funny. Oh, I had another case that was so interesting. Um, the father was diagnosed with stage four bone cancer mm -hmm. and his son was 18 and and starting college so his father took out these large student loans parental student loans um that that would die you know he also checked that they would die when he died because yeah, he really me. thought he had months left to live well his cancer responded really well to the treatment oh fascinating and luckily he, for him, but <laughs> right. And he lived, he survived it. And so his son, you know, graduated and he, he, the father had something like $400,000 of debt. He had put like room board, you know, all the expenses he, could. he put into those two months <laughs> and wow. then he lived. <laughs> that's that's um, incredible. Yeah. That's truly incredible. Yeah, everybody, and again, it goes back to everybody handles debt and savings. Everybody handles it differently, and that's why that's why you have to talk about it. And the interesting thing, right, I mean, we both practice in the divorce world. Finances are a big reason that people get divorced. If they yeah. would just, you know, figure out how to communicate, if, if they would have the conversations up front, I'm not saying that divorce would go away, but I think that it would help smooth smooth things out yeah well i mean that's why we're we're all lucky that you're you're around ivy oh you're so sweet um so I'm right back at you <laughs> where where can people find you um so they can find me online uh at www.familywealthpp that's two p's like in peter familywealthpp.com and um, my phone number is 212-244-4707. Great. Um, well, it's, really, no, that's, it's 4704. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> um, well, I certainly would want to talk to you if I were going through a divorce. And, um, you know, you just have a wonderful manner and you're a great listener. And, you know, a hu you're you're human being as well as a financial analyst. So um, it's been a pleasure talking to you this morning. And um, I hope people get in touch with you with their financial questions. Oh, thank you, Rachel. It was so great to be here. Thank you for having me. And I always love working with you for the same reasons. I mean, you're such a good listener and you're so creative. Oh, so thanks. thank you. It's been a pleasure.